Welcome to the Plan Is podcast with me, Caroline Dunn. I'm a personal trainer, nutrition coach, yoga teacher, and a geek obsessed with learning how to live the biggest, fullest, most joyful life and helping you do the same. In this podcast, we'll cover fitness, nutrition, mindset yoga, and personal development because it's time to stop putting our health into boxes. It's time to care about the whole beautiful, messy you, mind, body, and spirit. The plan is to rise up, sweat, get stronger, be joyful, let it go, pause, laugh, try again, breathe, and do our best. I am so happy you're here. Hello, and welcome to The Planners Podcast with me, Caroline Dunn. Today we are talking about yoga, and I don't think it is going to be your average yoga chat because I think a lot of people want to talk about the benefits of yoga, but we're going to talk about it from a slightly different perspective. Let's not also forget the benefits of yoga. Whether you've tried it or if you haven't, it is pretty amazing for strength and suppleness and that makes a rather mobile human and we defined mobility or discussed mobility in one of the previous podcast episodes. Go check that out if you want to know what flexibility is versus mobility. But a mobile human, like it tends to feel, being a mobile human tends to feel pretty awesome in everyday life. I think of a mobile human as a superhuman. It's someone who can run and jump and twist and turn and do strong stuff. Yoga also relieves tension. It aids in relaxation, improves sleep, which means that we can grow and have lots of energy and rest and recover. And the scientific research is catching up with, you know, what is like a 5,000-year-old practice. Um, So yoga does start to rebalance the two parts of our nervous system. And because there's a physical aspect of the practice too, it can address muscular imbalances in the body too. So yoga can start to encourage our parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest, de-stress, recovery, digest mode. And yoga can tone the vagus nerve, which again is linked to this parasympathetic nervous system and changes our brain waves. Okay, yeah, fantastic, useful to know, but it's the tip of the iceberg. I do believe that I'd be doing yoga, and you, a major disservice if I just condense it down into another way to move or another workout and another way to relax. It does go way deeper than that. And I will also caveat that with, I first started practicing yoga, not being able to touch my toes, interested from the physical aspect of it. It was another physical challenge. I liked that. I liked the shapes that people were making and was drawn to it. My first experiences of yoga were weird and hard. I hated it. (laughs) I lay fuming on the mat at the end and was like, why am I paying 
to lie in the dark and breathe. I could just do that on my bed. Um, I can't remember if I chat in this about this in the um, meditation episode that was a month or so ago now, but yeah, I was not a fan to begin with. But it's a bit of a cliche when they say yoga comes alive off the mat, but that is the bit that got me hooked. Yoga became somewhere where it was safe to play, where it was safe to fail, and in to connect to my body. I still remember about two months, three months, a while after a regular yoga practice, I realized I could feel my body. And it's not that obviously I couldn't feel my body before. Like I knew I had fingers and if you punched me, I'd say ow and all this stuff. But the connection to my senses, the way that my body could feel things changed. And that is an amazing physical aspect of yoga that I discovered. But it was the mental space. It starts to change your relationship with you. And therefore, the physical aspect, the postures, or what we call asanas, they are just one part of yoga. And yoga actually is a journey of self-transformation and realisation. It changes the relationship that you have with yourself. And this is what excites me, because if yoga has the power to change the relationship you have with yourself... It has monumental consequences, like for our purpose, our happiness, our lives, our relationships. What part is not touched if your relationship with yourself is changed? Now, before we go any deeper than that, let's just address what I think is one big stumbling block for people with yoga. And that is not being able to do it. It's the most common thing that I hear. Um, I'm really inflexible and things like that. Yoga is a practice. It's not about being able to do it. It's not. It's not about what the postures look like. And it's so understandable. As I said, I did it. You walk into a yoga room. Yoga room? A studio? <laughs> and... You're trying to copy the shapes, you're looking around, you're comparing yourself, you're trying to get your body into what feels like new and weird positions, but that's not what it's about. It's not about being able to do it. It's about connecting to your body. And part of that is connecting to your breath. So... Saying that you're not flexible enough for yoga is like saying you're too dirty to take a bath. <laughs> it's for everyone. It's for everybody. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Yoga does not require any degree of perfection. It doesn't require any put togetherness. It doesn't require any ability. Yoga asks that you show up every messy part. So we're going to dive in now to the philosophy of yoga as in what actually is it about? If it's not about the postures, what actually is it about? And I will say let's approach this together with a bit of an open mind. If the terminology is new for you or you don't, you're not a particular fan of the terminology, maybe it sounds a bit hippie, 
I'd just say, give it a go. If we shelved everything that we thought sounded a bit weird, literally, where would society be? (laughs) You know, a lot of stuff that comes out of science is weird and wacky. Life is weird and wacky. So just, you know, take the messages, let them sit with you. Some things you'll like, some things will take some time to sink in. And don't let someone else's version of yoga be yours. Now, the way that yoga starts to change things is it actually starts with a huge underpinning. A huge underpinning? I don't know if that's the right word. But essentially, it's a philosophy. It's a way of life. Yoga is a way of life. Yoga in itself means the word. It means connect or unite from the word yoke. So according to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, there's eight steps in yoga and you start in one place and each step then leads on to the next one. The purpose of those eight steps is liberation. Now, if you don't like the word the liberation, that's fine. Substitute it with one that resonates more with you, like freedom, separation, detachment, whatever that is. So the yamas is the first step. It's the first like bit of yoga. Now what the yamas are, they are ethical restraints or disciplines and they include non-violence, truthfulness, non-coveting, sexual integrity and truthfulness. And if you practice those things, you are practicing yoga. Yeah. And you know what, when I learned that, a light bulb suddenly went on when I realized, oh, so that's why a lot of yogis are vegetarian or vegan. I thought it was just like a cool jump on the bandwagon thing. But no, it's because of the first yama, which is ahimsa. It means non-violence. And so quite often yogis extend that to animals and therefore not eating them it doesn't mean every yogi is a vegetarian or vegan but it does explain why you see a lot of that in the yogi world okay so the second one the second yoga sutra is the niyamas so the niyamas are observances so that includes the niyamas include cleanliness contentment self-discipline self-study and surrender to a higher source And let's just touch on that one because some people struggle with the meaning of that last one. Um, It means like surrender to God or the nature or universe. Or if those words don't really make much sense to you, it means relinquishing what you don't have control over. Then limb three is the asanas. So we have the whole philosophy of yoga in the yamas. Then we have all of the observances, the things that we do And only then do we get to the physical postures. And this is what I guess most people think of yoga. And the physical postures traditionally prepared the mind for meditation. So the postures are just a starting place. Yeah. How cool is that? 
So the first um, yoga postures are thought to be recorded in the, the Vedas, which is 5,000 years ago. And it shows people like sitting on a mat in a posture, preparing for meditation. And then over time, the postures have expanded. And a lot of what we know now as like modern yoga, it only comes from like the 1960s and 1970s. Um, so often those yoga poses teach us something quite, quite different. So it's a, you often hear it said that yoga is not about touching your toes. It's about what you learn on your way down. <laughs> Which for me, as I said, it was things like playfulness and it normalized failure. That was a really big thing for me. It like frightened me. It stilled me. It, it freezed me, frozen me, made me freeze. <laughs> because so much of school and the education system is about performance and achievements and there's no safe place to fail not really not in the education system so that was quite a big one for me um in that how and i'm just saying that as an example of how a physical practice impacted me mentally limb four is something called pranayama breathing techniques breathing techniques so pranayama is a way of using your breath controlling your breath it's an incredibly powerful tool for bringing you into the now. And again, it's used to lead you into meditation. You will often find breathing used in other mindfulness techniques. And I'm a big fan of a breathing practice. Go check out now one of the breathing episodes. They're super simple. I count rhythmically. You can go to sleep to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, pranayama is something that we underestimate I think because we think breathing is automatic we're like right we've got that breathing thing covered but actually when we start to invest in the quality of our breath breathing become breathing practices become like a workout for our breath so that like when we work out our body and we get physically stronger and more resilient the same thing happens with our breath limb five is pratyahara that means withdrawal of the senses so again, we're going deeper and deeper now into preparation for meditation. And Pratyahara might just be putting like a do not disturb sign on the door. That's a way of withdrawing from the world so that we can then start to come into meditation. Limb number six, Dharana, means focused concentration. So in meditation, we are mentally alert and focused but physically deeply relaxed. So dharana is where we start to come to that focus concentration. And sometimes that can be on the breath. So when we focus on our breath in meditation, it is actually dharana. Step seven is dhyana, meditation. So limbs three to six are actually all part of the process that leads you into meditation. So the postures, the breathing, the withdrawing the senses, focusing the concentration, it all leads us into meditation. And I've done a whole episode of meditation, so I won't like dive into all of that now, but remember, meditation is not not thinking. Meditation is the practice of choosing to return to this moment every time that you 
notice that you're caught in a thought or a feeling. And it's through that process, practicing coming back, coming back, coming back to our breath moment, that we start to powerfully influence our brain chemistry and start to change our relationship with our thoughts. And I'm such a geek about it. I could talk about meditation all day. Let me know. What are your experiences with with meditation? It probably took two to three years that long for meditation to kind of make sense to me. So don't worry if this is all like Greek to you right now. (laughs) Um, Just engaging and learning about it is part of the process and being open. And final one, limb eight, samadhi. Now that is word is or concept is traditionally known as bliss or enlightenment. And I still remember getting back from my yoga teacher training and trying to explain to my sister that the purpose of yoga was enlightenment. And literally, I think she thought I'd been converted or I don't know, um, like indoctrinated into some sort of cult. So, and the word enlightenment can sound very airy-fairy, can't it? Um, But ultimately... It means non-detachment and that means a full realization that you are not your thoughts and you are not your feelings. Like You're connected to everything else. Your identity is actually outside of what you've put up as your thoughts and your feelings and your opinions and the roles that you play in your life. That's the true point of yoga. There you go. That's one I wanted to give you with today's episode, the true point of yoga, samadhi or enlightenment. Now, before we like wrap this up, two things, how we might use yoga in our lives or when it might be useful. And the other thing that bugs me about yoga, the biggest thing. So the the thing that bugs me most about yoga is a combination of no actually just how it's portrayed in social media which is a combination of women and women in yoga leggings and sports bras and there's not that there's anything wrong with that not at all like if you're a woman and you want to practice yoga in a sports bra and leggings I do that that's fine but I just find It is not, it doesn't make yoga unintimidating. It makes us think that we have to be flexible to practice yoga. It makes us think that it is a um, pursuit that is taken up by mainly women. And that's not true. It is just not true. In fact, yoga was once solely practiced by males. And a lot of the poses actually require modification for the female body. But modern Western culture often puts females in a much more socially accepted position to discuss their feelings, to connect with themselves, to express themselves. And therefore, they come in droves to yoga. That is amazing. But it also grieves me because males in our society, men in our society, they need a yoga practice just as much. And there are more men coming in now and I want to see more of that like men this is your invitation remember it's not about touching your toes it's about connecting to your body and to your breath 
and working on your relationship with yourself. So I'd love to see yoga as more inclusive for everybody, whether you are male, female, young, old, in a neurotypical cold body or not, whatever disability or challenge that we have in life, whatever our past experience is, whatever our past traumas are, yoga is for everybody. And I'd love to see it being a bit more inclusive. And I will work (laughs) on my role in that because I also know that I am a typical white cis woman saying these things but at the heart the core of me I believe in the inclusivity of yoga and finally what can yoga be used for in our lives I think if you are looking to lose weight help your mental health learn more about yourself grow as a person improve your mindset, improve your nutrition, your energy levels, you get stronger. Whether you want to change your life or not, (laughs) start with yoga. Because when it changes our relationship to ourselves, it's not just a workout. It's a tool for life transformation. I'd love to know your experiences of yoga. Were you aware or are you aware of the philosophy behind it? How has it helped you? How do you struggle with it? So head to social media, share with me, Facebook, Instagram, what are your biggest takeaways from this? What do you want to know more about? What has yoga done or not done for you? It makes me do a little happy dance to have had you join me in this episode. If you enjoyed it, then please subscribe, rate it five stars and leave a written review. I so appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe to my mailing list also at www.theplancoaching.com so we can keep in touch. I love doing this with you and sharing the struggles, laughs and wins along the way. So I thank you for being here. And until next time, remember, life's better with a plan.